Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hi, Mike. Congratulations on 20 years. Now, do you remember our conversation just about 20 years ago, when you said to me, when I grow up, I wanna be just like Peter King. Remember that? Well, buddy, you still got some growing to do. Hey, congrats on 20 years. Hopefully, you have about 40 more. Thank you, Peter King, uh, great friend and uh, trailblazer in the business. And uh, Peter King's Football Morning in America, available at profootballtalk.com. One of the great accomplishments of the past 20 years, the fact that my platform that I started with the AOL CD and the dial-up modem with 2400 baud, <laughs> that, that that hosts Peter King's Monday morning quarterback, now Football Morning in America for legal reasons at Pro Football Talk. Dot com. All right, superlative time, Mike, on this Monday edition of PFT Live, 20th anniversary of PFT. You're away. Well, I'm going to start with the battle of the rushing touchdown quarterbacks, San Francisco and Chicago. Jimmy Garoppolo, four yards rushing, two rushing touchdowns. And Fields has a hundred has his first 100-yard rushing game, has a rushing touchdown, but you saw why the Chicago Bears wanted this guy for how he can break tackles and how he can make runs. Again, they didn't get the win. San Francisco got the win. I thought they were the better team, and it's all about Justin Fields now kind of growing as a player. But this was the part of the game that they knew they had. Now you work on the consistency from the quarterback position. But for a guy that looks like he's going to be dead in the water in the backfield to reverse his field and do what he did, and as I said, end up with 103 yards rushing, uh, and the touchdown, I thought was a nice step for him. Even though it was a loss, again, I look at little victories, and, and they didn't get a victory overall, but the little things of what he's doing 
and, and what his strengths are. But then again, for Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, you know, dropping his head and his shoulder when he needed to, as I said, just four yards rushing, but got in the end zone twice. The second one was a little better of a run where he really made a nice, a nice move and drop a shoulder to get into the end zone. But I, I thought it interesting, the battle of the, the rushing touchdown quarterbacks, three rushing touchdowns between the two of those guys. And even though the Bears lost, that moment from Justin Fields, I think, will encourage a lot of Bears fans and discourage some 49ers fans who thought we could have we had Justin Fields instead of Trey Lance. And maybe that's the moment where it really clicks for Justin Fields. And what it reminded me of, and I think others as well, Mike, the Steve Young run against the Vikings, which was 33 years ago, almost to the day, October 30, 1988. When Steve Young just shredded through, and I really, you know, I want to see this about as badly as I want to see the original Hail Mary over and over again. (laughs) And it was only 1988. It looks like 1938. It looks like it should have, like, silent movie music over it. But look at him go. Hold on, I was playing And he just keeps going. He just keeps going. And and Joey Browner falls over a guy into the end zone. But, I mean, that's the thing, Mike. They make it look like it was the, the roaring 20s, not the 1980s. I'm amazed they don't have us in leather helmets there or the one the one bar, you know, face mask. I mean, it does. It's like, my God, did we play that long ago? Now it makes me feel so much older. The difference between right. HD and standard definition, I think that's the explanation. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say that's it. Uh, you know, uh, another superlative for me, I, I, I think I want to overall give – Backup quarterbacks, you know, we, we talked about him, Simeon, Mike White, uh, and Cooper Rush. But especially, you know, for, for Mike White, it's on a team that's not, that's not going anywhere, right? I mean, it, it's a team that's rebuilding, and Zach Wilson is going to be that guy. But for the other two, the job of a backup quarterback, especially for a contending team, is keep your team's head above water. And for Cooper Rush and Trevor Simeon, who had to come in on the fly there, that's exactly what they did. The Saints are right there uh, with Tampa Bay. And obviously, for Dallas, it's not so much about the division, but it's about the whole conference. So I I just love to see when those guys get a chance, when they're able to come through, when they get that chance, and how much confidence that can build in the team with them. And and it just shows you, number one, how important that position is. And the Eagles have long been proponents of that to the point where they draft Jalen Hurts and it you know, it, it screws up their relationship with Carson Wentz, but you have to have a good backup quarterback. And Mike, I can't help but wonder whether or not the Jets, after what they saw Mike White do on Sunday, were thinking, why did we trade for Joe Flacco? Yeah. Because when Flacco arrived last week, I think we all just assumed once he's up to speed, Mike White take a seat. Now, hey, you got Robert Sala yesterday suggesting that maybe Mike White could win the job from Zach Wilson. Oh. I, 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 I couldn't imagine that. Zach Wilson, when he's healthy, needs to have every chance to be the quarterback of that team, to give him the chance. I, I mean, I know we threw a lot of interception, but he's a rookie quarterback. It's going to happen. That would be, that would be stunning to me if that were to happen. Okay. My award currently is, uh, I'm going to call it analytics, schmanalytics. And it goes to Urban Meyer. And look, there are high-level <laughs> analytics and there are very very low level basic considerations when it comes to oh I don't know the difference between a two score game 
and a three-score game. And this happened, and I'm a little extra salty about this, Mike, because I thought the Jaguars, with two weeks to get ready, and Daryl Bevel and Broughton Schottenheimer, who know what Pete Carroll does, I thought the Jaguars had a, stand, a chance to steal this one. Seahawks on a short week. You know, there's a lot of factors. And, of course, the Seahawks blew them off the field. But it's 24 nothing with two minutes left in the game, and the Jaguars finally score. Well, the math isn't that difficult. Eight times three is 24. If you score a touchdown there and kick the extra point, you're down 17. It's still a three-score game at that point, and there are fewer than two minutes to go. And it's clear that the Jaguars weren't folding the tents because they followed the touchdown and the one-point extra point with an onside kick that, oh, by the way, was returned for a touchdown by the Seahawks, so none of it mattered. But you can't reconcile not going for two and an onside kick in the same breath. You can't do it. It's impossible. And all that stuff died down. I mean, Urban Meyer, you know, benefited from the John Gruden controversy, frankly, and they got the win in London, which I think if they hadn't gotten, maybe he would have gotten fired. But that that decision, I'm sorry. I, you know, the question was, is he fit to be an NFL coach? I don't know if he's fit to coach anywhere with that. And maybe he was just never down 24 nothing at Ohio State or Florida or anywhere he coached before then. Maybe this was new to him. What, to, what do I do in this situation? Well, you go for two. It's that simple. Anybody who's played Madden for more than a half hour knows the difference between a two-score game and a three-score game. I was stunned by that. Oh, listen, I completely agree. I, did, I think we all just naturally assumed you're going to go for two, you know, because you have to. So, and, and your reasoning, I, listen, we saw he was a great coach on the college level, and he actually did lose some games, but you're right, maybe not in a way like that where he had to do that math that far ahead. But is, is there a guy playing now that looks as miserable as he does in coaching? Forgetting all the stuff that, that happened all the, off the field, but just on the sidelines – he looks like he needs Pepto-Bismol every single series. He looks absolutely miserable. I just, I mean, I know it's his first year, but man, either he settles into this thing or it is going to age him 10 years for every single year. It, it, it is something else, but completely agree on the analytics here. My, my last one is kind of a, I, I, it was some of the little things I saw. It wasn't a great, you know, average per rush, but the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line in what they did, it was how they ran block. Again, it was an old line that kind of got revamped. Now, Cleveland had a couple of sacks, but I'm talking more about the rushing attack. And again, it wasn't great yards per carry, 32 carries for 115 yards, but a great split, 32 runs, 35 passes. But the way they were dominating on the run, the run blocking where old linemen always want to go forward, they were pushing some of those defensive linemen. And this is a good defense. Or statistically, they had been a good defense. We know they gave up a lot of points a few weeks ago for a couple of weeks in a, in a row. But I got to credit this O line, and I'm sure Najee Harris is doing the same thing of the way they were going forward. I mean, shoving D linemen on the ground, driving them down the field. It was subtle. It's not something I think where everybody just said, oh my God, we're going to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers running offensive line today. But that's something that I saw that just kind of made my eyebrow go up and say, you know what? These guys are coming off the ball really, really well and giving them those rushing attempts they need to help with the play-action pass. 
you know, going into the season, Ben Roethlisberger said it's going to take some time for this offense to gel. They had 80% turnover on the offensive line. And we just assumed that, or I assumed that, you know, how much better is it really going to get? But gradually, slowly, but surely, and they have to play a game with all three phases. And sometimes two of the phases have to make up for the absence of, you know, your kicker. But uh, right. they, they have, this is exactly why you never go to sleep on the Steelers. When you write them off, that's when they turn it around, and here they are in that offensive line, quietly getting better and allowing the offense to operate. Last one for me is uh, the relegation-slash-contraction award. There was a point yesterday where it looked like the Lions and the Texans were competing to see who could lose by the most points, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Now, credit to the Texans. They actually almost covered the spread. Yeah. 38-22 was the final after they were down 38-0, but I, I, I don't know how two teams can be that bad, and of course, there is no relegation. This isn't the Premier League, and there is no sense or possibility of contraction. If anything, the NFL is thinking about expansion because one way to increase inventory for betting purposes is to have more teams. You get more games with more teams. But uh, remember this, no matter how many teams there are, there are going to be the dregs of the league. And right now it's the Texans and the Lions, Mike. And the Lions, as, as good as they looked against the Rams when they were throwing everything they could in the path of L.A. to try to get a win, I thought they'd beat the Eagles. I thought that they'd found some spirit, some drive, some motivation. And when you look at their schedule, hey, this is a game that maybe they could win. And to get blown out by a team that came into that game 2-5, and five, it could be a long year for the Lions. It's already a long year. It could get a lot longer. Yeah. You know, we were talking earlier about how the Vikings kind of that Midland team, and but that's Detroit at the bottom. They're they're stuck there. You want to talk about frustration? They they just can't get out of the, out of the basement at all. And I'm with you, but but we see it in all sports. There, these are all professionals. So you would think it would be a little closer with the talent level, but it's not. But it happens in every sport. There's the 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 worst teams in the league. The key is it's supposed to work to where you get better. You know, whether by coaching or by draft picks or by moves or by free agency or by trades or something. And when you don't, I mean, that that's just not a look at the players. That's a look at coaches. That's a look at upstairs. That's a look at ownership and everything. But I'm with you. I thought I, I didn't think they were going to lose every single game this year. And I, and I don't because they are playing hard. And I thought this was a game they might get. But credit the Eagles. Great pressure on the quarterback in this one. Uh, the defense really, really stepped up here uh, for Philly. But I thought this was one because Detroit is playing hard that they could get. But this is what happens when you're a bad team. Sometimes you play well enough to win and you don't. And sometimes you just look horrific and you get blown out. And, and that's, that's Detroit. And Houston, they, again, they are a mess because I don't even know what their – they don't know what their future is at the quarterback position at this point. And it is ugly. And with a first-year coach, it's not going to get a lot better. And the Lions go into their bye week now, and they come out of it. And, and look, they, they still have nine games left, but they are 0-8. <laughs> They go to Pittsburgh and Cleveland back-to-back. They're not going to be favored in either of those games. They may be double-digit underdogs or at least close to it in those games. They have the Bears on Thanksgiving. That may be their their best chance because we know they play a little bit better a lot of the times on Thanksgiving, and the Bears aren't a juggernaut this year. They have the Vikings after that. They go to Denver. Going to Denver makes it a little harder. They got the Cardinals. They go to Atlanta. They go to Seattle, and they finish the season with a visit from the Packers. I it's not, 
it's uh, it's too early for the 2008 Lions to start yeah. wondering are the 2021 Lions going to take us off the hook by by going yeah. beyond 0 and 16 and going 0 and 17, but. They, they got to get a win somewhere, and I thought yesterday was their opportunity. All right, uh, the Colts needed a win yesterday, and for a while it looked like they were going to get one, but the Colts did some Colts things, and the Titans pulled off the win. We're going to break down the de facto AFC South championship game yesterday as it relates to the team that won when PFT Live continues right after this. You know, great pressure. Forced him into a mistake, and uh, you know Elijah was there to capitalize. And then, you know Kevin was frustrated. You know Kevin could have been better uh, there at the end of regulation, uh, and you know he made a great check and alerted David to, to what was going on. And you saw David kind of run with him, and you know Kevin was able to come out of the post, make a good call, and you know just a huge play. Three overtimes like that. In three different times you had to go to overtime. That's the toughest, the toughest way to do it. Yeah, I mean, I just think that that's, you know, I mean, it's the whole thing about not being a front runner. You know, I mean, I don't know, you probably have been on some teams or been a part of some teams. You go down 14 nothing, you know, guys are bitching and complaining and trying to start fights on the sidelines. I mean, we never, I never worry about that stuff. You know, I mean, these guys are um, confident in their abilities to, to make plays and come back. And you, know, you don't want to be in that position, but if you find yourself in that position, you know, there's only one, you know, we put ourselves in that position. We're the ones that have to get ourselves out. Mike Vrabel talking about the victory by the Tennessee Titans over the Colts. And Mike, as a practical matter, um, it ends the AFC South. It's over. It's done. Yeah. The Titans now have a three-game lead plus the head-to-head tiebreaker. So, to put it in baseball terms, the Colts got to make up four with nine games left. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. And the Jaguars and the Texans, the other two teams, it's not happening. For the Titans, the question is, how high can they climb off up the playoff tree? Can they, can they get that by? And I talked to Kevin Byard, who had the interception in overtime yesterday. He said that that's our site now, is to try to get that by, uh, that they're going to try to push after what they've managed to do the past few weeks. And right now, they, they at 6-2, and two, technically the best record because they've played eight games and they have two losses. And I think they're the only team with two losses that has six wins to tie to it. Technically, you'd make them the one seed, but obviously uh, that's, that's premature. But it's not premature for them to think that they have a shot at it. No, it's not. And, and that's where some teams are. You know, with the Vikings loss, you look at the Packers that way. You look at Dallas with their win. They're looking at it that way. You're beyond the division. You know, and certainly that's where the Titans are as well. They're beyond the division. And you start to look at forecasting for the playoffs now because everybody would like, as we mentioned earlier, the road to run through their city or if not, at least get that by. I've been impressed with the Titans' defense, I think, is playing better. They've now won two games where Derrick Henry has not gone over 100 yards, and they haven't gone over 100 yards as a team. So a team that relies on Derrick Henry to beat a hammer, especially when you get to the fourth quarter that he just batters you, so he hasn't gotten those yards he normally gets in the last couple of games, and yet this team is finding a way to get it done. And Byron, I mean, a 42-yard penalty in the end zone to put 
the Colts in a position to tie that game. And, you know, and then this is a guy, listen, he's a hell of a player. He vows at that point, I got to make a play. And that's exactly what he does in overtime, though. Another head scratcher by Carson Wentz, not to, you know, that, that first one, the, whatever he's doing, flipping it with his left hand in the end zone for a touchdown there was, was just unbelievable. I mean, it was going to be a screen to the tight end. He looked like he was just going to try and do what he should have done, just throw the ball in the dirt at the feet of the tight end. For whatever reason, he didn't do it, and he could have done it, though there was a lineman in the way. Maybe he thought he couldn't get it there or whatever, but it was a horrible horrible decision and then quite honestly that interception by Barrett I mean there was no reason to throw the ball there you have time you have just under six minutes it's first down you have a wide open back on a check down just throw it down to him don't try and force one in there which is exactly what he tried to do there was no need to do it at that point and he did it come out Tennessee comes up with the interception and that's all she wrote I tried to get Bayard as tactfully as I could, to admit to me that when the Tennessee defensive players are on the field, they are anticipating the inevitable screw-up from Carson Wentz. <laughs> and the, the most that he would say was, as to that interception in overtime, I was surprised he threw the ball. <laughs> so, uh, and I think everyone was, because as, as we showed, the guy was covered. There wasn't an, an open... Yeah receiver there and you had other guys you could have thrown to and and look in just a tiny little bit of defense for Carson Wentz he was trying to avoid the safety and I assume he consciously took the risk he was trading two for seven but he he knew uh, his mistake was not not just throwing it down like you said he should have just gotten rid of it but he held it and then he got swallowed and he's thinking I'm getting a safety here get rid of the ball and uh, it just so happened it was caught and returned for a touchdown. But but that that's, you know, the, uh, it usually manifests itself in injury. But with Carson Wentz, he tries too hard to be Superman and extend the play and make something happen when it's past the point of anything good happening. And it's clearly in the territory of only bad things happening, Mike. Well, listen, I, I agree. And that comes from thinking you have the ability to do it and having done it maybe a couple of times. It's just like running quarterbacks. They always think that they can get done with their legs over their arms or a gunslinging quarterback who thinks they can throw it through a defender, you know, to get to their receiver. It's just that confidence. And, and what makes, I think, a player grow is understanding the situation. And I do think he understood I can't give up two here because not only we give up two, we don't get the ball either. So I get that. But then there's a way to do it. You know, they throw it into the ground as opposed to throwing it in the air. I mean, I, I just, I, I don't understand. And then again, the last play, he's just, the last interception, he's just trying to make a play and thinking he can zip it in. I think that's when you make that next step as a quarterback is you think what you can do and you react to knowing what the reality of the situation is, and having to make that decision, by the way, in a split second. That's the key. And, you know, what we see from Wentz, some of the things we used to see from Jameis Winston, where he just tries to do more than he can. Right. And, and that, right. that's a recipe for disaster. You try to do more than you're physically capable of doing, and you're either going to get yourself injured or you're going to make these boneheaded mistakes. And to their credit, they drove down the field, and they were aided by that long pass interference call. Now, I think if Kevin Byer doesn't take out the receiver, he catches the touchdown there anyway. Right, right. So, you know, if they had held them from first and goal at the one, it would have looked brilliant. 
but uh, it all works out for the Titans who who and and I it's funny because at one point last week I think it was Darius Leonard from the Colts said it was a must-win game and I asked Byard what's it like to match the intensity of a team that views it as a must-win game and he said hey I said it was a must-win game first for us because we got the Rams coming up (laughs) On Sunday Night Football. And we just beat the Bills and the Chiefs. I thought this game was even bigger than that because it's division rival. It's in their building. And we've already beaten them once. If we want to basically do justice to what we've accomplished by beating the Bills and Chiefs in back-to-back weeks, we have to win this game. Kind of the opposite of what the Bengals did. The Bengals, by losing to the Jets, undermined everything they'd accomplished by beating the Ravens in Baltimore. The Titans recognized, now isn't the time to let up. And they had their moment against the Jets. They learned what happens when you let up. And I think that loss to the Jets is going to help keep the Titans focused on the games that aren't the big games, Mike. Because if they want to be the one seed, they got to beat everybody, the good teams and the bad, and they can never have a letdown. It's the biggest thing a player will first say to a team that wins a big game and are all, you know, got the adrenaline going and they're all happy they won a big game. You put in all that work, you get the win. And it's what you say, and then it bleeds down to the players like Byard, who, who echoes that. It doesn't matter if you got that big win if you screw up the next week, if you lose that game that you should win, if you don't take care of the business that you should take care of, then it becomes a what if. Okay, we did well there, but what if we didn't screw up here? Exactly where the Bengals are right now is where they are, where they could have been in that division to like, that's what we did. We let the Jets in this game, and we let the Jets come back and beat us. Well, Tennessee was in a position to say, we've had some big wins, and we don't need to, to, to be now of saying, okay, well, we got to take care of business here. So understand where you are. Make those big wins worth it by winning the games, again, that you should win. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, we talked about how bad the Texans are. They don't know who their quarterback is. We know who their quarterback is not. And will their quarterback be traded by 4 p.m. Eastern tomorrow? Where things stand on a potential deal that would send Deshaun Watson to the Miami Dolphins. We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. Quaker has been a trusted name in breakfast for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, and the ballpoint pen. And while a lot of things have changed since then, some things have stayed the same, like the great taste and quality of Quaker Oats. Quaker has something for everyone, like old-fashioned and quick oats, great for cooking and baking, or instant oatmeal in different flavors and varieties, whether it's lower sugar or added protein or fiber. Quaker Oats can satisfy the whole family. There's even Quaker Fruit Fusion, with real fruit pieces, added vitamins, and no artificial colors for a bold start to a bold morning. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877 look for quaker oats in your local grocery store around any corner within every battle and with the dawn of each new day the threat of the unexpected the unpredictable and the unrelenting lies in wait but marines will always be there they are the constant in the chaos no matter the battlefield marines adapt to win defeating every shifting threat Protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150. 
with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. Miami Dolphins beat the Patriots somehow week one. They have not won since then. They gave the Bills a little bit of a tougher time than I thought, but what's going on here with this offense? What's going on with this team? Well, one thing that they have going on is the lingering possibility that they will trade for Deshaun Watson. And it is down to the deadline, and Mike, we know that deadline spur action in the NFL and in many businesses, nobody moves to their bottom line position on any type of transaction until the clock is in the process of striking 12. Now, here's what I reported last night. They were very close to getting a deal done. They were moving toward a deal, the Texans and the Dolphins, early last week. And the Dolphins want the 22 civil lawsuits alleging sexual misconduct during massage therapy sessions to be resolved. There's nothing anyone can do to resolve the 10 criminal complaints. That has to work its way through the criminal process. Grand jury is going to have to decide what to do. But the 22 civil complaints can be settled. And Deshaun Watson was moving towards settling them. And what happened last week was the Texans caught wind of what was happening with the potential settlement, and they put their thumb on the scale. They drove up the price. Now, there wasn't a deal in place or anything like that. They didn't renege on a deal, but they increased their price, and that killed the momentum toward getting the deal done last Tuesday or thereabouts. So now here we are. Texans still want more than what the Dolphins want to give, and the question is, does someone blink between now and and 4 o'clock Eastern on Tuesday. And if a trade happens, look for the cases to settle. And if the trade doesn't happen, look for the cases to continue because Deshaun Watson is relenting on his desire that there be no confidentiality provision, that everything be open, and it's usually the other way around for the party who's writing the check to settle a case. But Deshaun Watson will retreat to his position that everything should be transparent if there isn't a trade. He's willing to give in on that point if it facilitates a trade to the Dolphins. So now we just wait and see who's going to pick up the phone, who's going to blink, who's going to have the motivation to get this done. The Texans want to do it. The Dolphins want to do it. Watson wants to do it. We'll see if they can land the plane. So I I completely get that deadline spur action, no doubt about it. And 4 o'clock Eastern tomorrow is that deadline. So we'll see with backs against the wall if it gets done. So let me, if it gets done, it gets done. Then Then we talk about the completion of the deal and who got what and how it's going to work out. But let me ask you this. Let, 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 me, let me go to the other side of it and say it doesn't get done. What then is the timing? What, what is there a next deadline that spurs action? Or how far does this thing linger on? And then do maybe other teams get involved down the line? Well, and, and, and that's one of the reasons why I've said all along it's better for the Texans just to kick this can into March because yes. by the time you get to the end of the season, first of all, we'll have clarity when it comes to the criminal cases. At some point between now and March, we'll know is he going to be indicted on a felony charge, and that would be the thing that would immediately trigger 
commissioner exemplist, paid leave, and also very real jeopardy for Deshaun Watson. But we'll know a lot more about the criminal side. The civil side could still be settled in theory in March, although, you know, depending upon what happens in the development of the case is it could cause one side to maybe be more stubborn and, and create more of a wedge. But I think generally we're going to know more about the criminal and civil cases come March. And you're going to have more teams that are going to say, we got to get rid of this quarterback that we have. we got to get in on this Deshaun Watson thing. And the Texans will have more teams at the table. But they're motivated to move him now. Cal McNair, according to ESPN, wants this trade to happen. And the one thing that they risk if they don't trade him by tomorrow at 4 o'clock Eastern, Mike, is that Deshaun Watson shows up on Wednesday and says, I'm ready to play. Because this, this unofficial paid leave imposed by the team, it only works if the player's okay with it. You can't involuntarily put a player on paid leave. That was one of the facets of the 2006 labor deal. It was a reaction to the Terrell Owens case. And remember, it happened with Keyshawn Johnson as well a few years before that. You can't just tell a guy to go home and we'll pay you. If he wants to be there, if he's under contract, you have to let him in. And he's still part of the team. And the only way around it is to trade him or to cut him. Well, as of 4 o'clock Eastern tomorrow, you can't trade him. So you either have to welcome him back in if he wants to return, or you have to cut him. And they're not going to do that. So that that's the one, if I'm the Texans, that's the one thing I'm keeping an eye on. If I ultimately dig in and refuse to take the best offer of the Dolphins and kick all of this to March, how big of a risk am I assuming that Deshaun Watson is going to show up on Wednesday? So, I mean, so at the end, what do you think? I mean, do you think they just are going to wash their hands of this and say, Deshaun Watson is now somebody else's problem? We're going to take the best offer we can get and be done with this. It seems like they would like to do that, but I also would imagine they have at least a threshold of what they want from Miami for this. And and the the, the thought all year has been that Nick Casario, the GM of the team, wants what he wants, and he's not yielding on it. And my general observation is, and, and this is our friend Big Cat's point, dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things. And we've got a couple of teams right now that are dysfunctional. Can they land the plane? Can they pull it off? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is dysfunctional. Can they figure out how to press the right buttons, pull the right levers, say the right things, so everyone gets to the point. You know what it's got to be with one of these trades? You know, it's like the the nuclear launch codes. Both sides have to put the key in and turn it at the same time. Everything's got to line up just right. A few years ago, the Browns wanted A.J. McCarron in a deadline deal with the Bengals, and the Browns screwed up the paperwork. So that's my concern, that they're not able to pull it off. And there is one other little thing that's ricocheting around the league, and I don't know if there's any merit to it, but I think it's amusing. There's a concern or a thought that Nick Casario is concerned. If he doesn't get enough for Deshaun Watson, he's going to incur the disapproval of his former boss, Bill Belichick. The Belichick's going to kind of grumble and look down his nose at Casario for not getting enough for, for Watson. And oh, by the way, he's thinking about sending Watson to the division where Belichick <laughs> would have to deal with him twice a year. So that part of it's kind of funny. But, you know, at the end of the day, if the owner wants it, Mike, and the owners like to say, I'm not involved in football decisions, I never give orders. Yeah, but when the owner makes his preferences known, if you want to have a good relationship with that guy over the long haul, you, you need to hear what the owner's saying and maybe do what the owner wants. Yeah, I, listen, I, I could 
this is such a tough one because of both scenarios that you set up, which, which is best for the Texans. It almost feels like be done with this. As I said, wash your hands of it and move on and know the direct, what you get back and the direction you're going, at least for the Dolphins as well. Maybe don't play around with fire. You want this guy, and if you don't get him now, you're going to open it up to other teams, possibly getting him as well, if it does seem like the way it's going that they would want to move on from Tua. Quick break, Sunday statement draft when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Here's to Mike Florio, American success story. 20 years ago, you were chasing ambulances, and since then, you've been chasing down your dream. You ignored the haters, the naysayers. You just shrugged your shoulders, snapped on that terrible toupee, and got it done day in, day out. Hey, Mike, did you think you were done with me? Not quite yet, because I heard that PFT is celebrating 20 years today. And let me guess, you're probably running a kiss-ass montage of a bunch of people saying a bunch of nice things about you and the website, right? Well, guess what? You should. Because the truth is that PFT has been making us better and smarter fans for two decades, and we are all better off because of you and the work that you do. So even though the internet comments might not say it, I will say it for everyone. Thank you. Look at stats. The common link between Mike along with Mike. Good old stats. I mean, yes. uh, stats worked on Mike and Mike when he was 10. I, I really think he was 10 years old when he worked for us because, because right now he only looks 12. So he hasn't, he hasn't aged much. Unbelievable. The common link for, for us. That is great. And I have no idea what stats actually says about me, although I could make some guesses. I will say this. He has always been extremely complimentary of you. Always. Yeah, he, he's he's a Is good guy, really. And again, he was he was a young guy working with us, but man, he just wanted to learn and put his put his uh, work ethic in, head to the grindstone. It was a good dude, really good dude. And and obviously he likes you, but I don't know if I believe that or not. Let's do the first two rounds of the Sunday statement draft in this segment. We'll finish it up later. You're up. Yeah, I, I would say let's not forget about this guy, A.J. Brown. I mean, you know, we're talking about all the great young receivers in the league, the rookie year, the second-year guys. A.J. Brown is just 24 years old. He's just in his third year. In his first two years, he's had over 1,000 yards, and he's on his way again. Ten catches yesterday for 155 yards, over 500 yards on the year. So while there is a great influx of young receivers in this league we're talking about, let's not forget about that guy who, oh, by the way, is a young receiver as well in what he is doing. A good-sized guy. Obviously, they got Julio Jones, but he's been injured. A.J. Brown, let, let's, let's not forget him. I got to go back to Mike White. It is amazing to me that only two quarterbacks in the history of the league threw for 400 or more yards in their initial start, Cam Newton and now Mike White, thrust into the fray. And I think it helped him that he got to throw 32 passes last week in the game against the Patriots after Zach Wilson was injured. But he told me it's actually easier to be thrown right into it because you don't spend the whole week thinking and obsessing and worrying. You just have to go. But uh, he went yesterday, and he went off. So Mike White with that 405 yards and beating the Bengals, a Bengals team that we were calling possibly the best team in the conference before yesterday's game. Not now, but before. And I'm going to go with my second statement draft is going to be the Saints. I know we talked about them earlier, but 
to talk about playing against the greatest of all time and Tom Brady in the last two years. Tom Brady is one and three against them. We had the graphic up before eight touchdowns and seven interceptions. So there's something about what the Saints are doing. And every now and then that happens, whether it's a one-on-one with players. Sometimes somebody's got somebody else's number. Well, over the last couple of years, you got to tip your cap to the Saints. And I know part of it was the guy sitting in the, you know, the studio there with you guys at times now and Drew Brees. But, you know, kudos to the Saints for, I know they're trying to get past Tampa Bay this year. We'll see. But to have, I have that record against Tom Brady the last couple of years. I got to give Geno Smith some credit. You know, it was an uninspiring game on Monday night against the Saints. I really thought the Jaguars, with the extra time to get ready and the knowledge of the Pete Carroll offense and defense and everything they do, they're not necessarily offense, but you've got the, uh, the former offensive coordinators who understand how to beat that defense. I thought the Jaguars would look a lot better, but Geno Smith shut the door 20 for 24, 195 yards, two touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown. So Geno Smith, uh, a surprisingly good showing from him in what may have been his last start because they go into their bye. Right. Russell Wilson could be back on the back end of it. We'll be back after this with the final round of our Sunday Statement Draft. More PFT Live right after this. On the way out the door, final round of our Sunday Statement Draft. Mike Golick, you're up. I'm going training staff and coaching staff for the Dallas Cowboys on the decision that's going to be made on Dak Prescott. How soon you bring him back, the training staff for how well you're rehabbing him, and the coaching staff working with Dak on making that prudent decision on how long you can be without him if you need to, then try and keep one of the top spots in the NFC. Last one for me is the entire Eagles organization because I thought the Lions – were primed to beat them, in part because the Lions look good against the Rams and the Eagles, I don't know what the hell the Eagles have been doing. There have been signs of dissension. (laughs) And that press conference last week, whatever Nick Sirianni was talking about with fertilizer and plants and flowers, (laughs) I I thought that that it it, it was going to be two and six, not three and five, and the Eagles may be selling off assets today and tomorrow. And that's one of the reasons why we may not see a lot of trades. It's too early for teams to fold the tents with an extra game. And some of these teams, like the Eagles going from 2-5 and five to 3-6 and six, or 3-5, and five, they, may, uh, they may think they're in it. We're out. We're done. Enjoy your day. See you Happy tomorrow. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.